0: Let me ask you to go to John chapter 14, verse 15 through 21. We're going back to the chapter that started this sermon series. We're in a series called God Our Father, and there's a very famous chapter, at least the beginning portion is a famous place where Jesus says that He is the way, the truth, and life, and that no one can come to the Father except through Him. And uh, we looked at that passage to kick off this series. And, and today we're going to look at a portion that's later in, the, in, in this chapter, verses 15 to 21. Um, let me just say something about a little intro before we, I read the, the text. I said early in this sermon series that when I look at people in the church when I meet Christians, that I look for two qualities inside their heart. To see, and those, those two qualities, I think, are just really powerful evidence to me that they have really met and known the true and living God through Jesus. Those two qualities are one, I said, is deep, secure love. I look into their heart, and they, I see a presence of a deep, secure love that can only be divine, that can only come from God. And, you know, we've spent weeks and weeks looking at Luke chapter 15, actually. We've been looking, looking at Luke chapter 15, The parable of the prodigal son, that famous parable, which really should be the parable of the extravagant, outrageous father, to look at the deep, extravagant, secure love of the father. We've been spending a number of weeks on that, Um, but today I want us to get at the second quality that I'm looking for in people, that I, I hope that to begin to see in people, and that is grace motivation, particularly grace motivation to obey and to follow grace motivation and so i want you to have that in mind as we look at this set of verses um, and to for this message that i've entitled grace empowered obedience john chapter 14 verses 15 through 21 this is the word of god if you love me as jesus says you will keep my commandments In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let me read that last verse one more time. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's pray for today's message. Lord, this is such a big and deep thing and I am such a rookie. I barely feel like I know this. And so as I just stumble and bumble and speak clumsily today, will you use these lips of mine and your spirit come and help us to see this glorious thing that is between the Father and the Son that we may share in and that you would move us to a deep, grace-empowered obedience. Lord, uh, please help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just uh, just give you a quick thing about this verse, uh, this said passage. When I read this as a young man, I read this passage: "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." And I was thinking, "What? <laughs> that doesn't make sense." That's I, I thought Christianity was unconditional love. Jesus pays for our sins, and so like you know, I, I'm failing to keep the commandments. So how, how's that? And then if, if if that verse wasn't tough enough. In verse 21, he repeats himself, and he makes it really clear again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps me, he it is who loves me. Right? And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will show myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. Now, when I was a young man, I read that thinking, like, man, I don't keep the commandments, or there's certainly some of them I'm failing to do. Does that mean I don't love god and so i don't love jesus and because i don't love jesus the father won't love me and then because i'm not being loved by the father jesus won't show himself to me i'm thinking like oh my goodness i read these verses and i'm thinking this just feels like pure works righteousness to me i do the commandments then jesus loves me if i do the commandments i will be shown god i I read this if you hear that if that's your concern if that's the way you're thinking when you read this passage, let me just tell you you're just totally in the wrong place um, so many people, when they come to church, and I was talking about this before, your concern is, how can I be a good person? How can I do right? How can I keep the commandments? How can I do the rules? How can I be a good Christian? And then, if I am, then God will be pleased. then I will go I mean, this is how we operate, isn't it? and yet. If you, this is how you think, that's Christianity is so not trying to get you. The Christianity, if that's where you're at, I think 90 plus, 95, 98% of the Christians are stuck there. This is where you're at. You're concerned about the law. You're concerned about being a good person. You're concerned about justification. But really, the whole point of Christianity is to get you past that. The whole point of Christianity is to take that away from you and to take you to a much deeper place. And the deeper place is here. It's in these words. It's to just get past all that and to take you into a deep relationship between father and son where the law and being good I mean that's just it's just not even there anymore. That's not even that's not even on your mind. It's this deep thing and there is an issue of obedience which arises out of it to take you in this deep relationship father and son. That's what it's about. So with that said To get at this subject, I want to, I'm going to, we're going to do this in three parts. I'm going to first talk about the question of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. That's number one. Two, I want to talk to you about the Holy Trinity. Why the Trinity and only Christianity can take you to this place, right? Number three, I'd like to close this sermon with a story. So maybe hopefully help you kind of get what this passage is just talking about, okay? Now, number one, intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. In order to try to describe this a little bit, um, I would like to have, give you a little quote from a, a very deep piece of writing, ESPN, the magazine, <laughs> right? Okay, um, I, I, I subscribe to this, and um, obviously when you read ESPN, the magazine, you don't expect to read anything profound, and pretty much you mostly don't, Okay. Um, But actually, there's a a writer who has a regular column, and he's smarter than your regular average Joe sports writer. His name is Peter Keating, and he he only recently started. And ever since he started writing, I was like, oh, who is this guy? I read Peter Keating's column every single week for ESPN magazine. And in this, he wrote an article about motivation. And particularly, he's talking about sports and football in particular, so I don't know if you, if you're not a sportsman, you may not know what's going on, especially if you're not a football fan. But recently, in last year, there's a huge scandal that came out in, in NFL football. One of the most famous and successful teams in recent years is the New Orleans Saints. And what they found out is it came out that one of the coaches, the defensive coordinator, he has rallied his team, his the guys, the defensive players, and what they do is they put money into a pool. And the coach gives the prize of the money to the player who maims, who physically maims other players in the game and takes them out of the game. So he says, if you tackle this particular player and you hurt him badly enough that you basically knock him out of the game, you physically hurt him enough that he can't return to the game, you get this prize money. Okay, that's what's that's what happened. This came out, and people are saying, oh, this happens in the NFL, but actually. This is like incontrovertible evidence. It, it all came out, right? This is a bad scandal. And so, you know, the the and this is illegal. <laughs> this is against the rules in the NFL. And the 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 players who are considered the ringleaders of this and that defensive, I mean that defensive coach right now is suspended indefinitely. He may never get to coach ever again in the NFL. right? And the head coach of that team is suspended for a whole year. I mean the the punishments that came down from the top were really severe. and he's raising the subject because he's saying he's saying what motivates players you think that if they're going to get some money that'll it make them want to play harder in the game is that really and he and he really actually raises the question so let me let me say this all right quote this psychologists say there are two kinds of motivations for actions intrinsic which is the pleasure inherent in doing something And extrinsic, which is the expectation of a subsequent outcome, like earning a reward. Okay. Then he goes on and he says this. Most of us are trained to respond to extrinsic, not intrinsic, extrinsic motivations in our workday lives. And we assume athletes behave similarly. Give a guy an extra money to drive in 100 runs, we think, and he'll ratchet up his performance, he'll play harder, to get that money. Now, what's he talking about? He's saying this. You know, most of us throughout, you know, in your work life, do when you go to work, you wake up on Monday and go, yes, it's time for work. I love it. And you go to work, and your boss gives you all the stuff to do, and you have all these times, and you do it, and you're like, yes, gosh, this is just the glorious. This is a glorious thing, and I taste all its wonders and its goodness. And you go in and do this thing, and. And whether you get that paycheck two weeks or a month, it's just like that. Almost, it's just you forget all about that. You're just apart. You just love, and is that how you work? Now, if you get that for like even one hour out of forty or fifty, don't you feel happy? You're like, oh, I got a little bit of a real enjoyment out of the work itself, not out of like chatting with my friends at like you know at the coffee break or like having lunch with them, but really out of the work. There's something beautiful of the work itself. So he's saying. Why do most of us work? For the money. Money, then, is an extrinsic, an extrinsic. So here's the difference. An intrinsic motivation is there's something in the thing itself. There's a reward. There's a goodness. There's a glory. There's something wonderful. There's a pleasure in the thing itself, which is proper to itself. And when you receive it, it's an intrinsic beauty and a goodness that you love to taste and that motivates you to go do it, right? Extrinsic is somehow there's a, some connection which isn't actually connected to this thing. It's kind of just accidentally connected. And you get this reward out of it, but it's not actually connected to the thing itself. So a paycheck isn't necessarily connected. I mean, so for you, the paycheck is this, but it doesn't actually connect to the work itself. And you want the money. Therefore, that's why you wake up on Monday, even though the thing you're going to actually do when you get to the office is like, ah, right? That's extrinsic motivation. He's saying in the NFL, most guys, he's saying if, you, if, a, if an athlete can make it to the NFL or to the major leagues at the highest level, they, they can't do it for the money. They won't do it for money. They can't just get it for the money. They have to actually love the sport and the things in the sport so much that they will endure all the pain and the training and the, and the commitment so that's why they'll do it that's the only way they can make it to the high school that's how they do it because but most of us that's not why we get it to work we just kind of want money and so we think that if we know that if someone else if your boss says hey if you do this job really well this week i'll give you a five thousand dollar bonus would you work harder that week would you work harder this week if your boss said that to you i would <laughs> i'm a pastor and i do this for jesus and, and 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 if uh, the elders came up to me, or I, I guess in this church, it's it's the finance committee assessment pastor, if you work really hard at this this week, we'll give you five thousand dollars more. I'm like, dude, I want to go to Hawaii, <laughs> five thousand dollars. Let's do it. You know, I would do it, but that would be extrinsic motivation, and that's the way most of us are motivated. That's what makes us do what we do. But there's actually different. Intrinsic motivation is different. Let me just give you one other kind of like a illustration i like peaches in particular i like west coast california white peaches i mean it's just like one of the most glorious little things to me in life right and when we lived on the east coast we would eat peaches and i go this why does this peach taste so lousy (laughs) i don't know okay it's just not as good over there and we'd come there and then my you know we come here on vacation or like on on breaks when we lived in in, in in Philadelphia and my mom would give us white peaches when we were in season in the summer. And I loved everything about it. I like the little fuzziness. I like that it's kind of hard and a little soft. I like it when it's just just starting to get a little bit mushy. And I love when you bite into it. It's totally juicy. And its initial sweetness, I like the, the taste on the front end, the middle, and even the aftertaste. I like all of it. I like the form factor, everything. Okay. So, let's say I was a peach farmer. I was a peach farmer. And there's a lot of work to do. I have to, you know, I've got to plant this thing. I've got to get the weeds out. And, the, and, the, and then i got to like wait around for the, the harvest season. And i got to like cut and trim. And I've got to learn to do all this stuff. And, and I've got to get out there and do this work. But... Every time it's the work is starting to become a drudgery and it's starting to become a grind, I just just gotta remember the peach. Just the, the, the bite. And not because I make money. If I was from a family where my dad was a peach farmer and this is the only thing I wanted to do, but what I really wanted to do was be an NFL, you know, like NFL like linebacker. But peaches, I didn't even like peaches, I don't care about peaches, I hate you know, everything about the farming then I would only be doing it for money, right? Or because my dad made me. But if you love peaches, the work would have its own intrinsic reward and motivation, wouldn't it? You're hearing what I'm saying? That's the difference. And most of you, in your spiritual life, what it means to be a Christian, you haven't really quite started to learn intrinsic motivation yet. The vast majority of Christians I know, they haven't really learned intrinsic motivation yet. Or, you're really bad at it. <laughs> you're really, you're such a rookie at it. You you're still only know extrinsic motivation. People come to church. Why do they go to church? Here's why they go to church. Because, at church, the music will be really good. And hopefully, there'll be a song in there that'll just move me emotionally and it'll make me want to cry. Ooh, right? Or, When the preacher starts to talk, he's funny and it'll be, it'll be entertaining or he's smart and then he'll say something to me and it'll like stimulate my mind because I'm like a brain kind of dude and I like to have like my mind, like, you know, I like to get like the pleasure of my brain, you know, like massage and ooh, it'll like make me go, yes, that was cool. I didn't know that. Right? And so... That's that's or you come to church and you're like, you know, the whole song is singing. Though, hopefully the preacher won't be too boring. But afterwards, I love my friends. I'm going to hang out with my friends and my friends are cool Christian people. I love them. Right. And so or you go to a church and and the, the, the children's ministry is really good. The building is really good. The systems are really good. And it just works for you. It's like, ah oh, it works for my family. It makes my family work, really work. And, you know. If you do any and all these things, you can make the church grow with people. You know that? If you have a really good band and the person up front knows how to tug your heartstrings and just they, they know how to play the music just right, you will have an emotional response to the music. If the guy up front has a really good tongue and he and he can talk, he can he won't at least you won't be bored. And hopefully he'll be a little funny on some days and he'll be intelligent, right? And if the people are fun and cool, it's good to hang out with them. You can build an organization, do all these things. And you know what? It works. That's why we have such a thing called mega churches. Mega churches are run by very good management that can do all these things. But if this is why you go to church, if this is why you like your church, extrinsic. You haven't even really gotten to the thing that this passage is talking about. You haven't gotten to the deeper thing of God, of grace, Christianity itself—you haven't gotten like I have tasted something of God, and this makes me want to follow Him, pursue Him, obey Him. It actually makes me want to read the Bible. It makes me makes me want to pray. It makes me makes me want to obey Him and serve Him and do all this stuff that's normally religious grind. Okay, intrinsic versus extrinsic. Let me talk about. Now, let me go to the second portion of the message. Let me talk about the Holy Trinity. Um, I'm getting this from St. Augustine. And recently I was listening to a sermon from Tim Keller and he was citing St. Augustine. I've read all the stuff that Keller was actually I've literally read exactly the Augustine passage that he's talking about. So I'm like, wow, he's reminding me about this. Um, Augustine teaches something really profound about God. And this is only, is that before there was anything, you know, we live our life and our life has all these good things in it. There's money. If you have a lot of money and if you have power, then you can get a fancy house and then you can go out to eat and you can have a nice vacation. You can have nice friends. You can have admiration. You can have success. If you're really smart, you know, there's all these good things. I mean, there's a lot of good things in the world. If you have power, you can have control and you can have respect. All these things. But Augustine teaches, before there was anything before there was any creation, before God had made money, before God had any of these things that we like to taste and enjoy, all these little glories in the world, there was just God. And in God was a holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's what it was. The Father would pour himself out into his Son in love. The Son would receive everything of the Father and say, Father, I receive you, I submit to you, I obey you, and he would fling himself back to the Father in obedience. And then Augustine says something that's like, it seems almost, it like a wild thing to say. He says, this interplay between the Father and the Son that we call love, right, is so powerful that it's actually a third person. That for Augustine... The Holy Spirit is almost like the relationship itself between the Father and the Son. And for Him, the Holy Spirit and love are almost like the Holy Spirit is the absolute totality of the love between the Father and the Son. And before there's any other glory in the world, this is the greatest thing there is in the world. This is the deepest most beautiful, most compelling, most extraordinary reality there is, period. This is it, okay? And only Christianity can teach it because only Christianity can say that love is more important than power. Muslims say that there's an absolute God and he's over everything. Power is the is ultimate thing. Even the Jews say there's a mono-God. He's righteous and he's over everything. So the Jews teach a kind of sovereign righteousness. Muslims teach an absolute power Christians teach, only Christians teach love. It's at the bottom of all things. A love particularly between a father and a son that overflows, that's so an eternal spirit. That's what it teaches. And when you come to this passage, here's what this passage is saying. If you come in with all this, I'm not fulfilling the commandments and these questions and worries about how good of a person you're being, You haven't even come into this thing yet. You what Jesus is inviting you here when he says this thing, if you love me, you will keep my commands. You know what? He's not talking like God the judge, telling you, you the low people, follow the rules. That's not how he's talking. He's not talking like God the judge and telling you how we're supposed to get better and then giving us rules to like chop us up. That's not what he's doing. What he's actually telling you is the secret of his relationship with the Father. He's actually inviting you into the core depth of the relationship of the Holy Trinity itself. That's what he's doing. And he's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You know what he's saying? This is weird. I know this is weird to say this. He's saying this. You know why I... Obey my Father because He loves me and I trust that He has something for me and my obedience is my love back to Him. That's it. That's it. That's what he's saying. This is at the bottom of all things. And you know, when we come into what it means to be a Christian, we're so stuck on extrinsic motivation. And in a strange way, trying to get your life all fixed up and trying to be a good Christian and even understanding justification by faith and of the law and all that stuff, even that, you're still still in the extrinsic place. You haven't come to the deeper center and the most profound holy place. This is it. It's just where God will call you to do something and it's not easy or you don't want to do it or it's hard. And so what Christianity is this? There's a holy trinity before eternity. And the center of Christianity is what? A cross. You know what the cross is? You know that if you've been coming to if you've ever heard the gospel, you know that Christianity is the son of God crucified to pay for your sins so you could go to heaven. That's absolutely true. That's what's going on on the cross, but there's more. Here's what else is going on on the cross. What the cross is, is a demonstration of the inner power of the Trinity itself. This is what it is. The Son of God, not just Lord, not just Savior, the Son of God to show you this is sonship. This is what it means for you to be a human being and to become a son like me. This is sonship. I've received my love from the God, the Father, is so deep, and my love for Him is so great, I will obey him to the bottom, even on a cross. And what the cross demonstrates is the one who is the highest going to an obedience, which is absolutely the worst, most bottom place you can go, even to the depths of hell, to show us to have this relationship with the Father is worth it. That's what it is that the love that he has from the Father is more powerful and more worthwhile and more deep than even the grind of the cross. That's the demonstration. And when he calls you this to an obedience of commandments, he's saying, come taste what I know. Come experience what I have. Come into the riches of our triune life. That's what he's saying that is a really big concept I just gave you. And Let me just try to tell you a little story now. I'm not expecting that you're going to hear this concept, you're going to walk out and go, dude, I get it. And then, you know, I'm just going to obey God in everything. <laughs> I'm sure you're just going to all walk out and just just become perfectly obedient Christians who just like, I just love Jesus. everything. I just obey him out of everything. <laughs> God wants me to like love this person. and This person is just so stupid. <laughs> and if I just avoid this person, ignore this person because everybody else ignores this person <laughs> because everybody else thinks this person is just, oh, then nobody else will know. Everybody will think I'm still being an okay Christian. But like, do I have to actually go serve and do this thing? And only... The only, only person who's going to see this is you, God. Do I actually have to obey that thing, God? And then I'll actually want to obey it? I, I don't expect that this is what's going to happen, but this is the drama that's, that I'm placing before you. You know, there's a real dirty and disgusting little portion in, in the bathroom. Nobody else cleans it. <laughs> but, you're, but you'll just go, nobody else will. And if I don't clean it, nobody will know. Nobody will care just for god i'll just do it because god wants me to do it and i'm not t- i'm not trying to make you feel guilty here but if you just think god wants you to do it, would you do it would you just do it this is what we're talking about here and to close the sermon i want to just give you a story just will hopefully just help you to see this passage and this drama All right? get this and help you to get jesus help jesus make himself manifest to you and take you to the father a number of you know that um, this year I am homeschooling my son. My son is in sixth grade; he's 11 years old. And a, a couple people have asked me, "Why are you doing that?" Okay? And, and it's a perfectly reasonable question because why would you send your son to public school from kindergarten all the way through fifth grade and then pull him out and you know to do one-on-one homeschooling? That's it's an unusual. Um, the reason I want to homeschool my son at this age, about 11 years old, in sixth grade, and I, and I plan to do this for each of my children, I to do this for my daughters too, right? when they hit sixth grade, is I think before he gets to be a place when he's starting to become a man and doesn't want to listen to me anymore, he starts getting more independent, he's like saying, okay, I'm kind of becoming my own man, I got my own, my own, own drives and my own desires, and I, I, before he gets there, while he's still a boy, but starting to think about what it becomes to be a man, right at that cusp, I want him to just spend a lot of time with me. And I want him to get my heart. I want him to and I to talk about the things of life. in you know, school, you know, there's all these different subjects. And I want him to see how I process it. And so that he gets not so much stuff. Like, in all honesty, if he spends a lot of time with me and he gets better at school and thus gets good grades... I really don't care. I, I honestly don't care. And if that, actually, if he gets kind of behind in school because I teach a subject poorly, <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> All right. I mean, because quite frankly, the, the the public schools stink anyway. So if he gets behind, he'll he'll just catch up anyway. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. So I don't really care. Right? It's not that important to me. Um, what I want is him to get. I have like deep things in my heart that I want to convey to him. That if he gets these things, I believe that. He will taste deeper things from God it'll make him a more full and whole human being and a man and give him a deeper, richer, wonderful life and I'm hoping he'll get some of these things from me this year. you know that's hard <laughs> and we've been this is it's been six weeks in the school, and i'm I'm finding out partly it's like i'm not I'm, I'm, I've got my own problems and my own sins and my own laziness and my own lack of wisdom in some of this stuff and so i'm stumbling bumbling to do some of this stuff and just to get it's like um you know the other and what what we've been having some hard talks through this right and this past week we had a particularly painful conversation it's more like me lecturing him passionately and him crying okay and it was hard and, and school is like this. So let me just tell you two things about what my son is like. There's two things about my son in, the, in this interaction. One is my son genuinely loves me. He's not just afraid of me. He loves me, So and he wants to please me. When I say do this, he wants to do it so that when I go, that was good, he wants to hear that from me, and he wants to receive the pleasure of me having pleasure in him. He wants that. That's intrinsic motivation. That's wonderful to me, right? That's intrinsic motivation of a son to want the pleasure of his father and to be pleasing to his father. Now, he may want that too much. It might even be idolatrous, but that's wonderful in him, and I love that about him because not every son and daughter is like that, you know, <laughs> and many, many of you are not like that with your father. I certainly am not like that with my father. When my father says something to me, I'm not interested in pleasing him. I just want to get him off my back, right? He says, he tells me, since I to do this, and I just, dude, I'm just going to just do it to get him off my back. Not to please him and to receive the pleasure of his pleasure on me. So, but my son is really like that. It's re- and it's deep in him. And it's a driving thing in him. And that's, that's one thing. But there's something else about my son. And that is, he's just like any normal person. He has his own selfish things that he wants to do. And the, chore, the things that are a chore to him, he doesn't want to do. <laughs> and he just wants to get past them to get to having his own fun, right? And he has his own selfish things, and he doesn't want to really listen and get what his father is actually, he doesn't really kind of get it. And so, you know, like, isn't that the way school is? He has, he has a, he has like a reading assignment. This is the way typical school is, right? You get a reading assignment. And this, wasn't this like this for you? You would read the story that the teacher assigned to you, you would read it, and you're like, e- blah, that's boring, blah, 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 And you get through it, okay? You're like, good, I did it. And then the teacher gives you an assignment. It's because you have to interact with the story, and then you like, answer the questions, da, da, da. Oh, well, what was the meaning of the protagonist doing, blah, blah, and you say, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and you write this answer out, right? Isn't that what you did? And then you turned it in. And if you were like a moderately smart kid, and you, know, you kind of know what the teacher wants, what happens, right? The teacher goes, that was good, yeah, that's good enough, or you get an A, or excellent, and, and then you get a report card, and the good grade comes out. Isn't that the way school is? But really, you didn't get out of it what you were really supposed to get out of it. What are you really supposed to get out of it? What you're really supposed to get out of it is you're supposed to get, there's actually something beautiful in reading itself. There's, reading is the pathway to learning. And when you get it, you will you actually go in and some piece of a world will enter into your mind. A knowledge will enter into your mind. And it will enrich you. And it will it'll, it'll make you feel fuller and happier and, and, and glad and grateful. And you will want to do it for the intrinsic reward of the beauty of the learning itself. That's what reading is supposed to do. It's a, and that's what you, a, a child, when they learn to read, that's what they're supposed to get, aren't they? And if they grow up and they become better and better at reading... Their whole life, the whole world would become a wondrous place where new worlds and new knowledge and new learning will come into you. And you won't be bored. Far from being bored, everything will just, there'll just be wonders of, after wonders after wonders. That's the actual thing. As a father, that's what I want my son to get. That's what I want him to get. I want him to actually pursue the homework so that he gets a little piece, and because you don't get it. It takes you, you have to do this thing, and this thing, and this thing. There's all these little steps that you have to get. In order to get good enough, you have to actually do reading like that, right? You have to learn some vocabulary. You have to learn grammar. I mean, and, and learning vocabulary, it's tedious. <laughs> learning spelling, it's tedious. Learning grammar, I mean, come on. You want to know what the object of the preposition of the predicate nominative of of, of the antecedent of the pronoun, whatever. Do you even want to learn any of this stuff? (laughs) It sucks, okay? But if you're going to get to that place in the learning, you'll have to learn pieces of stuff and and then you'll get to this place and, and then this glorious thing will occur, right? That's what I want my son to get. But just like any normal kid, he can't see it. He doesn't get it, right? He doesn't see the beauty of the glory of the intrinsic reward of the thing itself. All he can see is, yeah, like if, I, if you identify the antecedent of this pronoun and write it down over these 10 problems and turn it in, then you're done. <laughs> then it's, it's, it's time to play video games. <laughs> then it's time to go run around and play on my bike, <laughs> And then maybe dad will, you know, let, let, let me mess around on his iPad or something. Okay? So, he's like, there's, a, there's this time that's called my time. That's the iPad time. That's cartoon time. That's bike riding time. That's just sit around and do 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 time. Okay? That's his own selfish time. That's the good time. But the work is just a, it's just a grind. And he's a, a relatively smart kid. So he gets most of the problems right, but every now and then he gets something wrong, and, and getting it wrong is not the problem to me. It's that I can tell it was lazy, half-assed, done, cutting a corner, just trying to get it through so he can get on to his own selfish agenda. And when I, So when I do the problem and I show him the thing that's wrong, I'm like, this is lazy. right?" And I look at him straight in the face and I say, If you get it wrong, it's okay because we can't get it all wrong. In fact, that's the whole point. To get it wrong is actually part of the point of learning itself, right? But laziness, no. No. And actually, it's it's dawned on me that the whole public school system has trained him to be half ass lazy, to be a good student in the self righteous manner, and to accept himself to be a good A student because. The teacher is way too busy to, like, actually get into the heart of every 30, st- of 35, 30 st- There's no way, okay? There's no way. So, really what he says, since he's a, a, a you know, a little b- above-average bright kid, he gets the assignment, he gets all the answers right, and the teacher goes, Oh, eh, you only missed two. Good job. He did it in this half-ass way. He didn't learn anything. All he did was he just got the grade and then he's going to get the grade and then tomorrow he's going to get more grades and then he's going to get a degree and then he's going to go off to college and then he's going to learn how to do the grind thing all all the way through college and then he's going to get a job and and then he's going to just get money. You you get it? You're saying he's totally a mercenary. Everything he does is just pure mercenariness and it's just because he was born with a certain genes that he can just do that and therefore he's a good student, right? And what I am trying to do is get rid of this. I'm trying to get rid of his whole life's conditioning. And when I look at him, I, I tell him with disappointment and sometimes anger, this is lazy. And I, that's how I say it, lazy. You can hear the disdain in my voice. This is lazy. All right? And I look at him and I say, I know that this is how everybody else does it. And this is normal. I don't care if everybody else's kid does this, but if you grow up and do this and this is all you ever do in your life, it will break my heart because you are my son. And even if everybody else does this, this cannot be for you. You understand? It cannot be for you because you are my son. And Hudson looked at me And he starts crying. And he goes, yes, Appa, yes. You know, I know tomorrow he's going to do it again. He's going to do it like five times. It's going to be on his grammar, (laughs) on his vocabulary, on his algebra. It's going to be like, oh, I'm going to be grading him and I'm going to just feel that thing. But you know what? We're all just like this. We're all just like this. When it comes to God and faith and obedience, we come before our God, except God is far kinder than I am, and he's far, of course, has no sin, he's far wiser. But he comes to you and he says, will you do this? I have something for you even if what I ask you to do is like a cross, I have something for you. And if you'll go to this place, you will know how the Father and the Son, how they love each other. The Trinitarian secret love of God. And this is the most glorious, powerful thing in the world. This is it. Grace motivated. Obedience. Will you go there? Let's pray. Lord, I'm, just, I'm not even just like Hudson. I'm worse than Hudson. There are many times I don't even want to please you. I just want to get you off my back. I just want to get the judge. The father who's supposed to be the judge. But the father who's a judge, I only hear the judge. I don't hear my father's heart. I don't believe, have faith that my father has something deeper, richer, glorious, intrinsic glory which comes from the Trinity flowing into my life. I don't believe it. Forgive me. We're all such mercenaries, Lord. Forgive us. And yet you, Jesus, you came for us wretched, terrible, half-assed, spiritually lazy, self-righteous, being good people, born with the right temperament, with a little bit of enough of a religious gene to deal with the boredom of church or the whatever. And so now we can come out and externally, the whole world world, know we're good Christians. But in our hearts, we don't get it. We don't get it. So Jesus, show us yourself. Manifest yourself, please, just as you promise. And take us to this place. Take us to the deep, holy central secret glorious beautiful love center of the holy trinity that you know and you wish to impart to us as we taste of your father's love take us there please so that we would run to obedience not out of obligation not out of fear not out of guilt not out of duty not out of chore not out of drudgery not out of grind but out of grace, because you have loved us. In Jesus' name. Amen.